As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Welcome to Brothers in Arms, brought to you by Catholic Men for Jesus Christ, with your hosts, George Rose and Bill Maher. Stay tuned as George, Bill, and their guests discuss topics relevant to Catholic men living out their faith in today's challenging world. And now, here are the hosts of Brothers in Arms, George Rose and Bill Maher. Well, welcome, my brothers. This is Bill Maher. I'm here with my co-host, George Rose. We are Brothers in Arms. It is... That we are, Billy. We are, and it is (laughs) November 5th. Fall is in the air. The season of jolly is here. Juxtaposed to the nuttiness in the world, I'm here to put a smile on your faces. Why? Because we have Thanksgiving coming up. We have some great feasts that we've had and coming up. We've Mm. got, of course, the Nativity of Our Lord in a month. Amazing, amazing time of the year, despite the fact that it's a crazy time of the year. What was the old Chinese cursed? May you live in interesting times. We, <laughs> we indeed do. <laughs> so uh, it's just great to be back with you guys uh, once a month. And we, George and I always joke about this. It's like every month, my gosh, a month is such a long period of time that so much is occurring in the world. It becomes very difficult to zero in and talk about all the important things that we could be talking about. Yeah, especially these days, Billy. Like we're, It's like time. We're in a warp speed, right? Well, we are. Like five <laughs> years ago. It was five years ago we started this show. I yeah. mean, there were things to talk about, but yeah. my God. It's just crazy. Yeah. yeah, we should go back to our first show and listen to it again, see what we were talking about back then. Uh, Sweeney. It was all about Sweeney, <laughs> Mike right? Sweeney was our guest. That's yeah. right. So we have a, a saint to talk about, right, George? We do. We have a saint of the month today, Billy, whose feast day is on November 15th, uh, and it is St. Albert the Great. Albertus Magnus. Albertus Magnus. Maybe that's what I'll start calling you now, William Magnus. William the Great. <laughs> and that's that's uh, that's all a joke, by the way. <laughs> Not to me. I'm deadly serious. <laughs> well, tell us about uh, so, Saint Albert. Sure. So Saint Albert, he's one of the 36 doctors of the Church, mm-hmm. uh, which I never knew till I started to research him uh, on this. But he he was really a, a powerhouse amongst the Dominicans. Um, but he was born in Bavaria, the in, Deutschland, the Deutschland, in uh, the year 1200. Maybe a little bit earlier than that. It's not totally clear. Um, he could have been 10 or 12 years before that too, but, uh, but that's kind of the date that we use around the year 1200. He died November 15th, 1280, which is also his feast day, November mm-hmm. 15th. He was canonized on December 16th, 1931 by Pope Pius XI. It took a long time for him to get canonized. It did. He was beatified in the 1600s, if I recall. <clears throat> and then he was canonized. And that's the church, you that's know, right. in its wisdom. At least typically is slow with regards to uh, looking at her saints. Yeah. You know, which is a good thing. That's got to be one of the longer ones, I would imagine, though. Um, so he is uh, the patron saint of those who study the natural scientists, uh, the natural sciences, scientists, sorry, yes. uh, medical technicians, philosophers, and just scientists in general. Dominican. <clears throat> He's a Dominican, and he studied at the University of Padua. So he's a really well-educated guy, and he studied Aristotle quite extensively. Yeah, just like Aquinas, he he is uh, Albertus Magnus is no, thought to be the the great mind of German mind of the yeah. Middle Ages. Well, he is the one who introduced that Aristotelian study into uh, the universities there, and made it part of the um, the program for the Dominicans. And 
mentioning St. Thomas Aquinas, he was actually, um, Thomas Aquinas was one of his early students. So, you know, uh, St. Thomas was born, I believe, in 1225. So he would have been studying under uh, St. Albert when he was in his 20s. Yeah, and, and and Aristotle and and Plato and the, and obviously the writings of the great Greeks was sort of a one of the gifts that came out of uh, the Middle East. Really, all those writings were lost, and mm. it was uh, Albertus Magnus, Saint Albert, Saint Thomas that really reintegrated the, that philosophical thought to Catholic thought and integrated the two. Yeah, yeah, I think up until then it was really a lot of uh, well, the reason that he brought. Um, well, I should say in, in 12, he was made the provincial of the Dominican order uh, in 1254. And then he, along with Thomas Aquinas and other masters in the order, including Peter, uh, who was later Pope Innocent V, they established his program of studies for the Dominicans that featured the study of philosophy in addition to the study of theology. So they really, uh, I hate to use the word, institutionalized, maybe more formalized or mm-hmm. brought it in as part of their curriculum. Uh, for the Dominicans. We all know where that went with St. Thomas Aquinas, right? <laughs> Probably yeah. the greatest philosopher in, in of, the history of, of the church. Yeah, Thomism is the Maybe the, the world. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No <clears throat> doubt about it, 100%. So huge influence uh, that he had uh, in the Dominican order and St. Thomas. Yeah, before that, really, the Dominican order was more of a reforming mm-hmm. order. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Dominic, a great saint that he was, called uh, or answered the call of the Pope to re-evangelize parts of France within Mm -hmm. the Albigensian heresy. Mm -hmm. That was their push, you know, evangelization. And this is, this is their, their entry into the intellectual life, if you will, through St. Albert. There you go. And uh, in, in 1260, uh, he was appointed the Bishop of Regensburg, uh, but he didn't stay as Bishop very long. Um, And when he was a Bishop, uh, he, Similar to like when St. Francis kind of announced, Pope Francis announced, um, uh, like when he became Pope, that humility really became a part of his pontificate, right? Um, I think he kind of put aside some of the trappings of, of the papacy. And uh, St. Saint, Saint, uh, Albert did the same thing. Although he was a bishop, he refused to ride on a horse and he went everywhere by foot, and he became known as Boots the Bishop. Boots, <laughs> which is Boots indicative, which is indicative of his uh, of his humility. And um, I, I, one of his last, after Saint Thomas died in 1274, uh, probably the last great labor that he undertook was the defense of the orthodoxy of Saint Thomas. Uh, and, you know, because St. Thomas left behind a lot of writings and all that. He was attacked quite a bit, too. He was attacked, yeah. and St. Albert was at the forefront of defending him uh, from these attacks. So, and he was also very upset. I mean, St. Thomas died at a young age, right? He was around 50 years old or so, 49 or 50. At one uh, point, we know St. Thomas just completely stopped writing. He had that great mystical right, vision, right. you know, and everything I've written was like straw, and he stopped yeah. writing. Yeah, yeah. The Summa Theological was never completed. Oh, it wasn't? I didn't no, know that. No, he stopped. Wow. Completely stopped. A vision of heaven. Heaven was so great in this vision, so transcendent, that anything in his mind that he could write was just almost cheapening it in his mind. Mm. Is it? Mm. And he was done. He was done. Take me now, Lord. Take me now. <laughs> <laughs> Take me now. The dumb ox. Yes. Not to, not to go back to a, a different saint. So, I mean, to sum up St. Albert, really, Billy, he, you know, he was a scientist, a philosopher, an astrologer, a theologian, 
spiritual writer, a humanist, and a diplomat. It's kind of hard to cover all the things that he did. It's a renaissance man. Yeah, yeah, he really was. Before his time, in yeah. In the Middle Ages. You know, what would you say to the guys? What do we, what do we draw from St. Thomas, you know, as a, as a guy maybe driving in their car right now, you know, in traffic? Oh, I, I think... He was a man, a man of incredible intellect, but also a lot of humility. Yeah. You know, and that's the one uh, thing that all the saints have in common is that humility, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. <clears throat> and, but I think you hit it with. I think in this day and age where we are breaking thresholds, scientific thresholds, we're really pressing up against some serious moral issues. Um, on, on many levels, you talk about him being the Renaissance man in politics, in science, obviously religion and philosophy. I think in some ways he's a great model for all of us. We have to get informed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are coming to a point where as, as Catholic men, we have to be certainly informed in our faith, but we have to be informed in the world and how the, our faith you know, relates to the world. And I think we are getting close to the time we're being called to act. So I think... Uh, Saint Saint Al, uh, Albert is a great example uh, for us to actually to, or encourage us to dive deeper yeah. into our study. Sure, along with our certainly along with our faith, but our study of issues. Yeah, and I think uh, also Billy, he really you know talk about like the the parable of the talents. He's a guy who did not bury his talents, right? He pursued them all. Sure. I mean, he had a great mind, but he studied things like, you know, logic, theology, botany, geography. He was an astronomist as well. Um, alchemist. He was one of the most uh, respected alchemists in the day uh, when he was alive. And so there's so many different things. Mineralogy, zoology, physiology. <laughs> there's ologies here I don't even know about. <laughs> uh, but then the writing, too. Uh, you know, he wrote over 36 um, 38 volumes, you know, and on all these different topics. So he would study something, really try to master it, and then he'd write books about it. It might just be essays or treatises and things like that. But. Well, there's something to be said for that. If you want to master a subject, teach it. Mm-hmm. And that's what a book is, really. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, a thought, your thoughts on yeah. the subject. Yep. So I guess, uh, guys, uh, we're going to ask uh, St. Albert to pray for us, to pray for you as you uh, ferry your way home. Oh, in most cases, probably most of us are ferrying away home at this point. Not George and I. We are technically home in the great domestic church media studio. Uh, but uh, we will be back in about two minutes, and we're going to get into a little bit of local news. And then after that, um, we have a, a, what I anticipate to be a great interview with Kerry Frazier, who is a, he's an analyst, he's a broadcaster, and a former NHL referee. So he's got mm-hmm. a great story and a and a conversion testimony that we're going to unpack a little bit uh, when we get back. See you in a couple. It started like it does for many people, question my faith and question authority. And I feel that the reason why I left was the, the draw of the world. The world was pulling me away. Some people would say, you know, Satan would, you know, Satan was working on me. He did not want me in church. He wanted me to be desperate. He wanted me to have the thoughts of suicide. I started to realize that a lot of the things that I experienced in my life were a result of my rebellion against God and against authority. Coming back to the church is the first step in healing from all of the hurts of the world. I went from being desperate and in despair 
to finding hope and encouragement for, for the future. I'm on God's team. I, I know who I belong to and I know where I'm going and there's nothing that can separate me from God's love. Take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Father Benedict Groeschel. There are legitimate differences of opinion in any religion. There are differences of opinion in Catholicism. But in Catholicism, you expect that people will take the teaching of its supreme authority seriously. To go diametrically opposed to those teachings is to not be a Catholic. Someone in the name of Catholicism is sponsoring the destruction of human life, lives of unborn children. And they got the name Catholic on the door. The highest authority in Catholicism and the encyclical Romane Vitae, Evangelium Vitae, is absolutely clear that no Catholic can support abortion and that Catholics are responsible to take serious action against legalized abortion. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Well, welcome back, my brothers. This is Bill Marm here with my co-host, George Rose. We are Brothers in Arms, and we're here to uh, talk to you guys on this Friday, November 5th. We just talked a little bit about St. Albertus Magnus, St. Albert the Great, Mm. um, great, brilliant mind of the Middle Ages, uh, Bavarian, uh, Oktoberfest saint, I guess you could say, uh, which we just uh, came out of as we enter this wonderful season of holidays and festivities with Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas. Uh, mm. I just absolutely love this time of year. I love snow in this time of year until December 26th, and then you can have it all, and I really would like spring at that point, kind of where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be out of luck this winter, Billy, I hope. I, I, Ski I, season approaches. Well, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I went skiing once in college. I was dating a girl, and we went down the hill one time. She said, I don't want to do it anymore, and that was the last skiing event I ever had. Went down I went down a mountain once. Really? So I need to get on some skis, George. Come on up, Billy. We got a spot for you <laughs> up in the Catskills. I'll be doing the bunny hills. Give me the bunny hills. Billy Magnus. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> on the bunny slopes. <laughs> Gotta live up to the nickname. <laughs> so we're here to really uh dive in this segment and a little bit of the news. Uh we we like to have it local when we can, but there's just so much going on in the world and you know, I, I can't help it, but sort of I look over at you, you, George, and I'm sort of winking and nodding as I say this. But, you know, Pelosi and Biden both met with the Pope. Uh, I, I can't help but sort of snicker in those encounters, uh, given their stance yeah. on certain fundamental issues of just existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that <laughs> but that, right. that has occurred. Um, that was interesting. Um, I won't dive too much into that. We all have our own opinions. Um, but what I did find was a, a pretty interesting article. I was um, Catholic News Agency. It jumped out at me because, um, you know, Catholic universities have been a bulwark in the last 150 years of, of developing good minds. And I can't help but just fringe or just I, I, I wrinkle my brow as I look at this uh, particular story. It's where it's uh, basically uh, Loyola Marymount, Los Angeles uh, campus is allowing a student group, uh, Women in Politics, to actually host a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. Mm. And I know on their campus, on their campus, and and the university is obviously emphasizing uh, their commitment to uh, discourse. I, I sort of think a fundraiser uh, making 
an institution like this, uh, you know, gain funds so they can further their their mm. genocide as more than discourse. I can't help. Yeah. Uh, but this is sort of the state of affairs that we're at now. Yeah, that's pretty unbelievable. I hadn't heard of that, Billy. My alma mater, Holy Cross in Worcester, Mass, back in uh, 2007 or 2008, uh, had Planned Parenthood on campus as part of like a teen pregnancy uh that Forum. was discourse. At least you could say that was discourse. Well, according to them, it was they they were under con- they contracted to a bigger group that then brought in the, the vendors, mm. and they didn't know oh, that Planned Parenthood geez. was coming in as a vendor. And they had the the president of Holy Cross said, "Well, we have a contract, and we need to honor that." Yeah, and I was like, that was really. I mean, weak. that's that's really like weak. sort of lame, but this is just yeah. even. It's just yeah, yeah we're gonna, we're gonna raise degree. some funds to kill some babies. Yeah. I mean, really, that's what it comes yeah, down to. Yeah, it's um, where. Oh gosh, I I was gonna make a statement. Uh, I I don't mean to offend any Jesuit out there, but what happens to the Jesuit universities? <laughs> is Loyola Marymount Jesuit? Yeah, apparently it is. so. Well, yeah, um, it's just I, unfortunately, I, it's not too surprising. I yeah, that's kind of where I was going, but <laughs> you know, it's um, it's it's you know, like Albertus Magnus, you know, my my thought on on some of the things we talked about with him in regards to his is being a Renaissance man and really understanding the sciences and, and the issues of the time, right? Mm. Um, and acting on them. Mm. This is where we are. These are, these are. these are events that are popping up that we have to stand. Yeah. Um, things are in our face now. And, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't maybe. And, and look, at, look at the times now yeah. as it progressively gets worse. You know, one of the other art, uh, news stories that... Um, that I wanted to talk about was this vaccine mandate for mm-hmm. January 4th. Mm-hmm. So companies with over a hundred employees, this, this is the, the, the overreach that's going on in my opinion, uh, with regards to the world and the government, I put the two together. Um, but if companies have a hundred or more employees and they have a, an employee that's not vaccinated, it's a, it's a, almost a $14,000 fine to that employee, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, to, to the, yeah, to the institution rather, the company, and and in the second offense, it's like one hundred and thirty thousand dollars or something like that. It's just sort of like, you know, it's overreach. You know, I forget what senator it was, but he talked about the lawlessness of some of these policies, and you know, think about that for a minute. Think about that term, lawless. Mm. Well, this is not a law. This is a, a mandate, right? Coming down from the from the White House. This is not it's an executive something, order, right? It's an executive order. It's, it's lawlessness, right? It's mm-hmm. it, this hasn't come up through Congress and, and and been ratified and so forth. It's and sort of the world we're at, we're at right now. And I do think um, we could take a lot from Albertus Magnus and I, I merge those two stories and say we gotta we gotta act. Mm. And and acting is on a simple way. It's prayer, right, George? Sure. We got to pray for it. But I think it's at some point we're gonna have to do a little bit more, right? We're gonna have to start gather, gathering yeah. in the streets, yeah. if you will. Frightening stuff. You that know? is frightening. Uh, fortunately, uh, um, some some senators and you know Ron and McDaniel and three other Republican uh, Republican attorney generals have actually filed lawsuits against this particular mm-hmm. instance. Mm. Um, but I've gotten cynical. And I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people hearing this have gotten cynical where it's like the resistance has been so, I don't know, ineffective. Yeah. You know, um, the brazenness of um, some of our politicians has gone to the point where they're getting away with everything. Yeah. And what does that mean? Yeah. You know, what does that mean? You know, they're talking about now 
forcing your children to be vaccinated. Mm. You know, there's no science there. <clears throat> I don't care what anyone says. There's no science there. Mm. So there's a lot on the plate right now. And certainly it's a, a time where if you're not praying regularly, if you're not petitioning God, if you're not storming heaven, well, start that at least. Yeah, yeah. You it's uh, Yeah, it's a tough spot to uh, to be in, Billy, if you're one of the people that uh, doesn't want to be vaccinated, right? Yeah. Um, I was forced to. I'll, I'll put it out there. I had COVID. Mm-hmm. I got through COVID very easily, thank God. And mm. I was one of those people that got on ivermectin. And within, I don't know, 24 hours, I felt almost 100% better. By 48, I was better. Yeah. Um, call it what it is. Maybe and then you had to system. get the vaccine, what, about three months after you I had, had no uh, choice. COVID? I was basically yeah. in a position where I was going to lose my job. Yeah. Or, yeah. or I, and I, obviously I have nine dependents. Yeah. You know, I was in, in a position to fight that fight. Um, I didn't have the uh, resources to fight that fight. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's the world we live in right now. So tough decisions are being made. Yeah, they sure are. I, was, I know that was a tough decision for you. We spoke about it a lot, you know, and then when you're coming down to the wire, it's like, well, what do you do, right? You got to yeah. feed your family. And, you know, for everyone out there, I'm not anti-vaccine. I want that to be clear. I've, I, in fact, like three weeks before that, I had my tetanus shot and my whooping cough shot. You know, mm. my belly. Mm-hmm. Um, not anti-vaccine at all, but I am anti-science. Yeah. I've been in the uh, scientific field for over 20 years. I've launched vaccines. Yeah. And, you know, there's a process. There's an FDA approved process and it takes years mm. one of the one of the series of studies that has to be done for any drug or a vaccine is it need you need a three-year safety study mm-hmm. not just efficacy really critically safety mm. of course those were thrown out of the out the window for this quote-unquote pandemic um that i had gotten through so i i didn't feel that the risk uh reward ratio was there in fact i felt there was certainly a lot more risk and i still have numbness in my foot since mm. that shot whether it's related or not, I mean, it makes me wonder. Yeah, sure. So um, these are real issues that I, I do think that um, in more sane times in this country, we would have the ability to sort of, you know, uh, use our own you know, intellect and, and come up with some conclusions Yeah, uh, that maybe we're not being allowed to. Um, and again, I'm not anti-vaccine. I want that to be clear. I thank God for vaccines. We don't have tuberculosis, things like that because of vaccines, right? Yeah. So. Um, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot on the Yeah, there's a lot to talk. We've probably talked the whole rest of the show about it, right? Well, we could. (laughs) But I think it comes down to, uh, we just, as Catholics, we wish there was more, um, just left to the individual conscience, right? To your moral conscience, what, what's the right thing to do for you? And everybody's situation is different. You know, your situation was different. So is mine. Um, so, you know, that, um. Uh, Catholic concept of uh, what's it? You probably know the word, Billy, um, where things are left to more to the local uh, it's subsidiarity. Talk, subsidiarity, right? Yeah. Yes, with education, right? Which means the parents should be very involved yeah. in a kid's education, which is another issue these days we see, right? Especially what what happened uh, down in Virginia in Loudoun County. Uh, so we see that a lot. Well, ex- talk about that real quick. Explain to everyone what was going down in Loudoun. Oh, I think everybody's probably heard about it, but. Um, you know, there was, uh, well, there was, there's a lot. I don't, I don't really want to talk about the whole, the whole thing because I think everybody's probably heard the story by now, Bill, and how uh, Glenn Youngkin won the race down there and all that. And he basically, his big uh, uh, stance was, um, uh, was against some of the things that happened in, with the Board of Education mm-hmm. down in Loudoun County, the way things were handled. And, and that was no small thing. He beat 
Terry McAuliffe. Yeah. Who, who had the right. machine behind him. Who said, and who also said that uh, parents should not be telling schools what their children are to be taught, which is like totally nuts, right? We have no say in what our, our kids should be learning in, in the schools. And uh, clearly that, that, that struck a tone. I mean, that, that really changed that whole race down there, right? And it I don't did. want this to be a political show because it's not. No, it's not. Right? It's not. Um, but uh, you have one guy standing up for parents' rights in in the classroom and in the schools and in the in the county, and then another who's really kind of not. He's you know kind of trying to take away parents' rights and saying that they don't have the right to be involved uh, with you know with what the the is being taught to their kids in the classroom. Which is really the parent's fundamental duty. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so it starts there, right? And Go and back really, to Deuteronomy. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. right. So that's, a, that's a major issue. And I think, you know, a lot of, I mean, COVID has had some good effects too, by the way. I think um, parental uh, responsibility in the education has risen quite a bit. A lot more people are homeschooling. Not saying homeschooling is necessarily the right answer, but my point is, you know, I, I think it's a good thing when parents rise up and take ownership because a lot of goofy stuff have been taught That's, to our kids behind the scenes. Yeah, it's kind of a silver lining in the COVID cloud, yeah, right? I think that, so. Uh, people are more aware. They saw it. Their kids are being taught more. Mm-hmm. So it's not as... And it's so mm-hmm. easy, George. It's so easy to homeschool nowadays. I remember when my wife started homeschooling mm-hmm. many years ago, it was tough. I mean, you had to order curriculums and you were a teacher. You were teaching like as if a teacher and you had to review the curriculums like crazy. Now it's like so automated yeah. that it becomes, it's, it's so easy to do it now. Yeah. Um, so that's a blessing in itself. And I encourage any, anyone listening to this, look into homeschooling if it's something you could possibly do. You know, yeah, if lot, it, yeah. If it works for your family, we have, we have one child, we looked into it. We didn't really feel it worked for us. Of course. You know, for it's one complete, kid, it's kind of tough, right? It's a, a complete individual call. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's tough, and it's true. It's tough, especially if you have one kid because he's by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And that's where, you know, the individuality of this comes into it. But the, but the point is, don't let it being a challenge or difficult get in the way because it's not anymore. Yeah. Yep. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Yeah. So um, interesting, though. Uh, there's a lot going on there. Um, in a complete attempt to uh, change the topic, and come up with something sort of interesting. <laughs> I, I couldn't help it. Jumped out. I was looking on the news. I don't know what site it was. Uh, might have been Drudge or something like that. But I saw NASA is looking to actually uh, develop a rocket system to deflect an asteroid, a la the movie Armageddon. So we, you know, as as uh, science fiction becomes science, they're looking to probe and 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 try this out. In the event that we have something nasty coming our way. Oh, yeah? So on one level... Does it have a a nuclear warhead in it, Bill? I I have no (laughs) idea. But on one level, I'm intrigued by it. On the other level, I'm sort of like, well, you're sort of monkeying with some orbits of some big bodies. (laughs) That could be bad, too. But I think in in the long run, it's probably good research Mm. to see if, you know... (laughs) <laughs> you know, averting some of these rocks. We when does just... it go? When are they going to shoot the rocket off? Uh, you Any know, idea? I'm not sure actually. Um, <laughs> soon, soon, soon. I'm sure we'll hear about it when <laughs> it gets ready to go. Yeah, you uh, know So, so um, I think October one of next year is what they're looking for. Some, mm-hmm. Sometime around there, sometime next year. So, yep. but interesting. You know, you know, we watch these movies, and uh, here we go. We're we're uh, we're science fiction meets science. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that uh, is neat. That's a good one. So I guess um, 
Any? Do you have any anything you wanted to touch on? No, no, no nothing. In in the crazy world we love and live. Uh, well, guys, we're going to be back in a couple minutes. Uh, we do have a great. Uh, we anticipate to be a great interview coming up uh, with a former NHL referee, broadcaster, and analyst uh, in Kerry Frazier. So stick around, guys, and we'll be back in just two minutes. Hi, I'm Mike Walsh, co-host of Talking Catholic. Every week, our show will bring you in-depth interviews with the hardworking people doing the Lord's work in parishes, schools, and ministries. Our increasingly secularized world often makes it easy to forget that we are surrounded by wonderful workers in the vineyard. On Talking Catholic, we will bring you their perspectives on how we can better serve God and our neighbors. Tune in to Talking Catholic on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Mondays at 4 p.m. For the Jews of old, the temple was the holiest place in the universe, and the spiritual center of the temple was the Holy of Holies. It was blocked off by a thick curtain, and only the high priest could enter to offer sacrifice to God. He had to have a rope tied around his ankle in case he died in there so he could be dragged out because no one else was ever allowed in. I lead a pilgrimage to the Holy Land every year, and to this day, you can see Jewish people from around the world come to the Wailing Wall, the closest place to where the Holy of Holies was, just to touch that wall. When Jesus died, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies was torn in two, not from bottom to top, which man could have done, but in an act of God from top to bottom. Why? Because in the New Covenant, God's dwelling place is you. You are the holiest place in the universe. Do you live like it? This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com on EWTN Radio. Come to the Man Up South Jersey Men's Spirituality Conference on November 13th in Haddonfield, New Jersey. This year's theme is Christian Manhood Through Faith and Family. Attendees of this day-long event will benefit from inspirational talks from powerful Christian speakers. For more information and a full rundown of the day schedule and our great presenters, go to manupsouthjersey.com. Well, welcome back, my brothers. This is Bill Maher. I'm here with my co-host, George Rose. We are Brothers in Arms, and we have a, a great ho- uh, guest, actually, in, in Kerry Frazier. Kerry, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, thank you. Uh, happy Friday, and uh, a blessed day to everybody. Wonderful. We are just delighted to actually have you. You have such a great background, interesting background, uh, you know, your time in the NHL as a referee, and obviously you're an analyst and broadcaster, and there's so much to talk about potentially with that. In fact, George is going to sort of give the guys a little quick rundown on on who you are and uh, before we start diving into and probing into your brain. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Hey, hey, Carrie, this is George. Thanks again so yeah, much. George. For, thanks so much for coming on today. We appreciate it. Um, Honor. Just to let the guys know who you are in case they don't, um, as Bill said, you're uh, you know a, a uh, NHL referee, and actually you have you called 1,904 regular season games, which is a record for the NHL, correct? That is correct. That, that's amazing. How, wow. Career started in the first season, 19 to 1981 hockey season, which I believe is the uh, that the first year the Islanders won the Stanley Cup that season. Yeah, they were a dynasty. One of the uh, one of the best teams I saw, and coached by one of the uh, two best coaches I ever saw throughout my thirty year NHL career, Al Arbor. 
Yeah. Well, well, listen, uh, you know, Carrie, George just exposed himself. You could tell now that George is a new uh, Long Island personality, (laughs) came from Long Island, because no other human being other than someone in the NHL would know that fact. (laughs) Well, Well, I'm sure George yelled at me then many times uh, at Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Carrie and I spoke last week um, about coming on the show, and I told him that I went to high school right across the street from the Nassau Coliseum. Coliseum oh, at wow. a school which is now called uh, Kellenberg Memorial, and the four years I was in high school were the four years that the Islanders won the Stanley Cup. So, so vividly they, etched they, into they my They should memory. have, uh, you know, <laughs> failed George a couple more years and uh, <laughs> extended, <laughs> yeah, extended their. Well, streak. you know, the problem is they ran into a, a team uh, and a player by the name of Wayne Gretzky and yep. Mark Messier and Paul Coffey and all those future hockey Hall of Famers, yeah. and uh, they learned a lot that Oiler team, young gun team, they learned an awful lot from playing against the New York Islanders. Uh, and I remember Wayne saying to me that they, uh, they, they had just lost the first time uh, against the Islanders, and they walked past their dressing room and they saw all these players that had just won the Stanley Cup sitting with ice packs on their every part of their body almost, and they realized that they had what they had to do, the Oilers, mm. they had to play through an awful lot to be Stanley Cup champions like the New York Islanders. Wow. Yeah, and it was actually what well, was the Oilers that, that prevented them from winning a fifth uh, Stanley Cup. I remember that. <laughs> yep, that's correct. Yep. You know, it's amazing. I um, I don't have a lot of experience um, in hockey, but I, I do have um, an interesting story when I was in high school, Pramus Catholic High School, back in the day in, in, in the late 80s. Um, our gym coach used to film the uh, New Jersey Devils games for the Devils and would ferry the films down in between periods. So he would bring us, and I, and I remember really being sort of blown away going in between periods, going into the locker room and seeing a couple of things, how big these men were, one thing, um, and how absolutely injured they were in between periods <laughs> they were getting iced up and i mean it's a really tough sport and i don't know if that obviously people see the fights and everything but the just the true grueling nature of 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 a a match in hockey is is i don't think a lot of people really understand what these guys go well through. the game is not for the saint of heart gentlemen and i will tell you that uh you know, it's it's almost like a code. Uh, I grew up in Canada playing uh, to the junior A level. My dad was a minor professional player and also a boxer. <laughs> so it was a good combination <laughs> back in those days. Uh, for uh, and, and I would certainly uh, call him a goon. He was a really tough guy. <laughs> and, uh, but we, we sort of have a code that you never let him know you're hurt. And uh, to give you an example, I was hit with a slap shot in Edmonton in 1982 by Paul Coffey. Oh. Uh, he pounded one right off my ankle. The puck went out of the uh, out of play. Uh, it fractured my uh, ankle. It knocked the end off of my fibula. Oh, wow. And I knew it was broken, but I was only five minutes into the game. So I finished the entire game, never unloosened my skate. It acted as a cast. And then once I uh, finished the game, took my skate off, my foot blew up immediately like somebody had just pumped compressed air into it. Wow. So, you know, you, you, it's sort of a, an inbred sort of thing that, uh, you know, hockey players are a really tough breed. Uh, you have to finish your shift. You have to finish the game, and you never let them know you're hurt. 
Wow, yeah, and you were a ref, I guess, for till from from that point, 1980-81 season until 2010, right? Here, so for 30 years, you refed NHL games. So I, I also read about you know you were one of the last three NHL officials covered by the grandfather clause that allowed you to to ref games without a without a helmet. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because you know <laughs> it doesn't make good sense. But what I'm going to tell you is what. Uh, the last player not to wear a helmet was Craig McTavish, and Wayne Gretzky wore that light little Jolfa helmet that didn't mm, protect yeah. anything. Uh, and the three of us had a conversation one time, and I firmly believed that you develop a sense of radar, an extrasensory perception, if you will, that uh, you're in, you're really dialed into your environment. Yeah. So I would have pucks come slip by my head. Uh, I would just move a little bit. I, I always knew what was around me. Uh, and uh, that uh, lack of protection, uh, I was cut three times in the face off deflected pucks uh, over the course of my career, the majority of my career. And the first time I was forced to put a helmet on, I got hit in the head five times in the corner with sticks. Wow. Players mm. were, were careless. They, you know, they see that, Everybody's protected. When and Mac T said the same thing. He said, "I hardly ever got hit in the head because guys just respected the fact that I didn't wear a helmet." Mm. Wow, you know you, that I agree with what you're saying. Um, and the analogy I can bring up is is to the world of basketball. I played in high school and college. I didn't play pro or anything like that. But um, they call that court awareness, and I agree 100. percent You have that sense of spatial awareness. Um, your peripheral vision is dialed in. You're in the moment. Everything is at, at, at its peak sensory perception. And uh, that is a real phenomenon. And I think it's true for, for any sport, really. Uh, when, when well, you, you, know, really... See, you see things at a slower pace. And, mm. and often goaltenders that are in the zone, they say the, the puck looks like a, a beach ball coming at me. Wow. Well, let me, let me give you an example. I had a chest protector that back when we lived back in Canada, uh, a guy that I knew developed this flak jacket. And he told me all the technical stuff that would disperse the energy if you got hit in the chest, blah, blah, blah. So I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. So I got a game of the Boston Garden. And uh, Sean O'Donnell was playing for the Bruins, and they're on the power play, and we were in the two-referee system at this point. So I was leading the play in with the Bruins on the power play. O'Donnell stepped on the, over the red line on the far side to where I was backing up, and he pounded a slap shot, and it was going to be a pound in and an end around that would go behind the net. Mm. They, they'd attack in the other corner. So I see this slap shot come, and it's, it's about chest high. And I, I squared up to it. I thought, boy, this looks like a good one. I'm going to try this chest protector. <laughs> I'm going to take it in the chest. And so as, as it, I see it coming, it's coming. It's probably a 95-mile-an-hour slap shot. And I see it slow. And all of a sudden, the puck started to rise. And I'm like five seven and a half, right, at, at a couple inches for skates. And it started to rise, and it was coming too hard, too fast, too high. I hit the deck, and I felt the puck whiz the top of my hair and the play-by-play guy uh edwards was his name for the boston Bruins, says and down goes fraser there goes that rink awareness we'll call it rink awareness <laughs> yeah there you go yeah and i have to and one of the uh things it says here in your wikipedia profile uh carrie is that by not wearing a helmet that allowed your signature bouffant hairstyle to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I, it was we, have its... that, we, have, we have 
seven children. We relocated from Canada in 1988. I bought Mike Keenan's house, former coach of the the Philadelphia Flyers, when he got fired and went off to Chicago. And uh, so the kids came home, and they were all athletes and great, great kids, great family. My wife is a saint, Saint Kathleen, I call her. And uh, so the kids came home from high school one day and said, "Dad, did you know you're on BestHair.com?" I said, "What's that?" Yeah, they rank the top ten hair in all different categories. Brad Pitt is number one. You're number three, and Jimmy Johnson, the coach of the Miami team, is uh, number ten. Wow, you beat out Jimmy Johnson. So, yeah. so I didn't know. That? I didn't know we were going to go into this uh, topic in this area. So, what's yeah, we're, we're what's the secret? Faith, right. Well, we're talking about is my stupid head. <laughs> what's the secret to uh, a maintaining a uh, proper do? Oh, my God. Now you've opened another Genetics. story. I've got a playoff game in Buffalo in the old auditorium. And in that, I hated that rink. But they used to allow the fans to hang right by the dressing room doors. And I walked out. The Bruins beat the, the Sabres one nothing in this playoff game. Nothing happened that was controversial. And this lady came right up and got my face. And she said, Kerry, I got a question for you. And she stuck her finger in my face. I, I thought, oh, boy, here we go. I set my referee bag down. I said, yes, ma'am, what can I help you with? She said, listen, I got real problem here. It flies all over the place. You're going up and down that ice 100 miles an hour, and your hair never moves. What's your secret? I said, Paul Mitchell freeze and shine. There it is. Thank you. I'm going to go buy a case of it. <laughs> there it is, folks. <laughs> Paul Mitchell freeze and shine. Is that right? That's it. That's awesome. Hey, you know, Hey, Kerry, um, on, on another note, uh, besides your signature <laughs> bouffant hairstyle, <That's> awesome. <laughs> um, I, I did I did see as well. So you you were not uh, you were not born Catholic. You weren't raised Catholic. You uh, converted no, in 1995, right? I'm yeah. I'm kind of guessing that maybe your wife had something to do with that. But you have seven kids, um, which is amazing. Bill Maher, my co-host here, has eight, so he's got you beat by one. So I'm, you're a slacker. You're a slacker, <laughs> Kerry. I'm sorry. I'm uh, done, baby. <laughs> but uh, so how, you know, t- tell us a little bit so the guys can hear, like, how your, uh, you know, Catholic conversion came about. Well, the Holy Spirit uh, undeniably called me mm-hmm. uh, and utilized my wife, Kathy, and her uh, cradle Catholic uh, background uh, and her love of the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, and devotion uh, to uh, pull me in. Uh, I was skating on thin ice for sure, guys. And uh, I was uh, in Canada. Uh, I was baptized Anglican, uh, Henry VIII, you know, mm, did his sure. thing. Yep. Uh, I've learned so much about the history of uh, the Anglican faith and Henry VIII uh, over time. Um, but it's interesting because my uh, Fraser grandparents were Presbyterian. Uh, my grandfather was an Orangeman um, that persecuted Catholics in Ireland. Uh, he marched in the Orangeman's Day Parade, and his birthday was actually on Orangeman's Day. Um, so there was a lot of contra-Catholic uh, uh, history in my family genetics and background. Although on my mother's side, my my grandfather, Whitner, uh, was raised Catholic, and his sister became a nun. So we had we had both sides covered, mm. uh, but I was a good little hockey player. Uh, but there was a there was an element of faith that I had as a, a youngster. And in grade two, uh, no, it was grade one in Miss Nicholson's class. We used to be in when you were able to pray in, in public school. Back in Canada, we did every morning. We started with a pledge of allegiance to the flag and, and a prayer. And uh, 
when I said the word Jesus, and it just happened again, the hair on my arms stood up. Mm. I had a I had a sensation, a chill, a a something, a touch that I remember and I recall. And one thing about me you'll know is that uh, or recognize perhaps is that I have a memory like a steel trap. I can remember events, I can, but I can also remember emotion. I can feel the emotion wow. of an incident. And so that call was continual for me. One Christmas, and I still have the Bible, I asked for a Bible for Christmas, and I would be about 12 years old at the time. Uh, and, and I read it every night. Uh, and we didn't go, to, I didn't go to Sunday school. I didn't go to uh, church. We uh, were not a practicing family of faith. Um, I said my prayers each night that my mother had me do, uh, you know, to uh, to God, uh, the, the little kids' prayers. Uh, and then I just got busy. I got busy playing hockey uh, to the junior A level where they draft players from. I was a good little player. My dad taught me how to fight uh, because I had to stand up for myself. I didn't like bullies. Uh, and uh, at the end of my uh, my junior A career, I was undrafted, and uh, I ended up uh, uh, with a whole bunch of U.S. Division One athletic scholarships. I chose not to go that way. I'm a product of a, uh, or our kids are products of second marriages. It's a blended family. Mm. Um, I was engaged at the time, silly, silly, married at 19, not because I had to, but because everybody else was doing it, mm. and I was a caretaker. Um uh, uh, I had to mature very quickly uh, as a uh, youngster in the home. My dad was away a lot uh, doing his thing, and so I was the man of the house. Every girl I dated had problems at home, and ultimately uh, I made a, a big mistake. Uh, three boys were born of, of that uh, initial marriage, uh, but it uh, it failed, and, and I'll take full responsibility for it. Uh, I immediately went into the NHL uh, following my junior playing days, scouted uh, at a referee school that summer, uh, brought to training camp, and ultimately signed to a contract. So it happened very quickly for me, and I was on the run. I had uh, no moral compass uh, and uh, with, with a lack of faith. So mm-hmm. it was a recipe for disaster to begin with in terms of being a good husband. Uh, I would say, if anything, if I may boast, uh, I was a great father. Um, and as things failed over time, 13 years, um, and separation and divorce, and that's when I uh, met my angel, Kathy, uh, who had a similar situation, abusive husband, alcoholic, uh, three daughters, lovely girls, and uh, we uh, fell head, head over heels in love. And uh, it was the first time I can honestly say that I knew what love was and what commitment was. Wow. Um, we were married outside of the Catholic Church, and Kathy would drag us to Mass every Sunday. The three boys, the three girls at the time, our little daughter together was born two years after we moved down to the States, Kara. Uh, and uh, so we would go to Mass. The boys and I would take up space. The girls would go up and receive Holy Communion, and my wife would cry. I didn't understand it, guys. Like, what's mm. the big deal? It's a wafer, right? It's not, It's like, <laughs> like, why are you so upset? Yeah. Uh, and I didn't understand it until I got the call. And it was it was through uh, uh, some amazing events, uh, a series of very mystical events, where my wife was on her knees uh, as I was heading off to a referee school, and, and I had created some problems in the house with the 
second uh, middle. We had two middle children, which is not easy. One was a girl and one was a boy. <laughs> and uh, the middle child uh, daughter was uh, the one that was uh, always uh, like the tornado in the house. And, and I couldn't stand disrespect. And if she disrespected her mom, I, I jumped in and, and uh, tried to be the referee and uh, frightened her. Uh, so as I'm heading off, I said to Kathy, listen, you got to call the employee assistance program. We had a blow up the night before I was leaving uh, that summer for my referee school. And uh, I said, you got to get this kid fixed because I don't know how much more of this I can take. Wow, was I ever off base. We, uh, through the NHL, we had a confidential hotline, an employee assistance program. She got, I flew off to Calgary. Kathy got on her knees, sobbing, pleading in front of the little statue of the Virgin Mary that she had as a child. And she said, please, blessed mother, help this family. I love my husband. I love my child. I love my children. You're a mother. Please help us. Put us in the right place, right direction. Kathy then made a call to the 800 number NHL employee uh, assistance program. It went to a counselor in Montreal. They talked for an hour, identified the problem, and they said, yes, we understand what you need. We're going to send you in a couple of days. We'll provide you with the name of someone in your area that you can seek counseling. Well, I got a call from Kathy that said they want us to go to Philadelphia. I said, no, that's, forget that. We need somebody in South New Jersey in our area. We're not traveling across in that traffic. So back next day, there's a guy right around the corner from where we live. He's at West Jersey Hospital in, in the, uh, the medical buildings there. His name is David, and I'll withhold his last name. And uh, he's a marriage counselor and a uh, social uh, worker. I said, well, we don't need a marriage counselor. We just need somebody to fix this kid, right? And <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, I said, well, let's give him a try. And if it doesn't work out, we'll just ask for somebody else. Well, the night before we were scheduled to see this guy, I was out of control. We were down at our boat in the Chesapeake Bay, coming home. I, for some reason, was frantic, wild. There was a force that did not want me to see this David guy. Wow. And uh, I said to Kathy, I said, you know what? You can go see that guy. I'm not going. Well, she dragged me around the corner to this guy's office, and I was so closed off. I sat there in the in the uh, waiting room uh, with my arms crossed and my back turned to my dear wife that I adored, and out came this meek, mild little man, David. And he stuck out his hand and said, hi, I'm David. I rolled my eyes. I thought, boy, this guy's going to fix me the jock, right? <laughs> we went in, and uh, he started taking notes. He asked about certain things, uh, previous marriages, children from the marriages, blah, 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 blah. Finally, he put his pen down, and he said, well, I- I'll tell you a little bit about myself. He said, I don't know whether you have a certain faith or whatever, but I'd like to start the session with a prayer. I find that it just relaxes everybody. And he said, certain things just pop into my head. And he said, I don't know where they come from, which wasn't true. Uh, he said, uh, and I just blurted them out. And he gave me three examples. The final one just opened my heart like you can't believe. He said a couple came in that were trying to adopt children. And they were having, they'd exhausted all North American supply or, or uh, options. And uh, they were empty, struck out. It was causing a problem in their marriage. Just like you, they came in. They, I took down information. I set my pen down. Something popped into my head and said, you have nothing to fear. Mm. On such and such a date, you will receive a phone call. On a specific date, you will be asked to go to Russia, have your passports in order. On a specific date, he gave them, 
you will meet your adoptive children, siblings, uh, and when you bring them back to North America, they are very close to the Virgin Mary. Make sure that you keep them close and and bring them to Mass uh, every week. Well, wow. the people looked at me like I had two heads. He said they walked right out, didn't even finish the session. On the day that David had told the lady that the call would come, she called him. And he, she said, David, I received a call. He said, I know, just do as you're asked. Hmm. What happened is they flew to Russia on the prescribed date. On the date, it was a feast day of the Blessed Mother. They met their children. They walked into an orphanage in Moscow, and standing in the foyer were these two little children holding hands with a shopping bag with their worldly possessions, standing at the foot of a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Wow. Yes. That is an wow, that's awesome quite a story. For me too. <clears throat> awesome uh, story. David uh, said that... Uh, we like to schedule another appointment. I said, my God, can we just keep going? I walked out of there with tears rolling down my cheeks into the bright sun. I hugged my wife. I said, I feel the need to go buy a rosary. David had given me a tape. He said, I went to a place in 1985 called Medjugorje. Oh, no He said, I gave a talk at a, uh, a Catholic uh, church, and this is the content of my experience in uh, Metzgoria and following that. It was fascinating. We're going to have to, um, we're going to have to get you back. Um, I have to say that because <laughs> I, we, we literally have like 30 seconds left in the show and we have not unpacked some amazing stories. So can I, can I, can we get your commitment to get you back on the radio? Absolutely. And you know what? This, this is a good segue folks for you to, or men, to join us at the Man Up Conference on Saturday, November 13th. I have so much more to share with you about the journey and the attack of the devil that resulted when I was trying to listen to that tape that David yeah. Well, you're yeah, going to share that with our audience, if that's okay, because yeah. we're going to re- arrange for that to be the case. But one thing... I thank you so much because you brought it back to Mary, and Mary is the surest path to Jesus, and it's been that way in my life. It's Our saint of the month is Albertus Magnus. That was his calling to enter the Dominicans. It was your, your uh, uh, if you will, call came through Mary for your marriage and family, and I tell yeah. you what, the, the and, whole, and, yeah, it's, it's great. What a great story. I have, Carrie. One last plug for Man Up South Jersey, which is uh, next weekend. It's now a week from Saturday. Kerry will be speaking there. It's a very similar type of men's conference to our uh, Catholic Men for Jesus Christ conference. So, guys, go check it out, and you can hear Kerry's full story live next Thank, Saturday. Thanks, Kerry. We're, we're out of here, guys. God bless you. It's Mary. It's all about Mary. And Paul Mitchell, Freeze and Shine. Take care, brothers.